This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Let me set this up for the people that are joining in to watch the Business Jiu-Jitsu journey. So Business Jiu-Jitsu is a book that I'm writing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about the shared principles between business and martial arts. You're a, a very successful business person. You've been successful in the business world, but also in the Jiu-Jitsu world as a black belt. How, how did you get started? Well, I think I'm a little more successful, I think, in the business world. <laughs> how did I get started in business or how did I get started in Jiu-Jitsu? Uh, well, I, after college, I was lucky enough to get into business school straight away and got sort of that two-year business degree out of the way. I didn't know anything when I showed up at business school. There's a reason why schools now want three, four, five years of experience. Mm. It's much more fulfilling, I'm sure, if, if I had had that. But I was in a rush. Yeah. I just wanted to get out there and make my mark. And my first job uh, was in Chicago, because uh, I went to school out in Chicago, grad school. And um, I was an equity sales trader for Merrill Lynch in the Sears Tower, which yeah. is not even called the Sears Tower anymore, yeah. 5,500. It was the Sears Tower, you know, when the winds came in Chicago, the Windy City, you just feel the building sway. Yeah. But other than that, um, you know, that was my first real crack at Wall Street. Yeah, that's great. Um, you, on your bio at least, it says that you, or a risk analyst? No, I was no not you're not wearing credits for now. So you were, it says no, I you were. I was a credit oh, analyst. Credit. Yeah, analyst. yeah. So, um, well, the trajectory of my career was I started in that job as an equity listed equity sales trader at yeah. Merrill in Chicago. So I went through the training program in New York, then got shipped back to Chicago. Yeah. Um, worked there for about a year, year and a half, and then came back to New York to be one of the founding members of the Merrill Lynch High Yield Research Department. Yeah. It was a brand new department, junk bonds. Mm -hmm. and this is needed, in the 80s? 90s? This is 1988. Um, you know, right before the, there was a financial crisis back then. Yeah. Uh, this is eight, 1987, actually. Right. Uh, no, I'm sorry. This is 1980. Yeah, just like the end of 86, beginning of 87. And um, uh, it made a lot of sense for me because uh, you said a credit analyst, yeah. not a risk analyst. But I guess you're a risk analyst when you're analyzing credit. Right. Um, but, you know, I had been trained in, in Chicago to be a sales trader, a salesman and a trader, meaning you're selling uh, the firm's ideas, the firm's new deals. Uh, it's really other people's stuff right. and you're trading the same things. Uh, the fresh start for me to, A, to move back to New York and then B, start in such an exciting department like High Yield Bonds was to be a research analyst. So the ideas were mine. I was selling my own original creations. Yeah. You know, I'd look up and down companies, up and down balance sheets, and I'd make my own, you know, judgments. And that was so much more worthwhile than just regurgitating, yeah. you know, Merrill's army of analysts and what they were saying today. Right. So, you know, that's what really taught me the business. Right. You, uh, have you ever come across the show Billions? Your professor, uh, Don Nahar, was on that show. Yeah, I'm for, I only Googled the, uh, <laughs> uh, YouTube the scenes where John was in, but yeah. other than that, I haven't seen it. Well, the they, they used, they used jujitsu as a metaphor to, yeah. to mirror the things that were going on in the business. Yeah. And in, in your profession, when you, you're constantly measuring risk, right? You, right? You're the CEO or the president of a REIT. Uh, I'm president of Benefit Street Partners, yeah. which is a um, multi, uh, alternative asset manager, yeah. of which, yes, you're right, I'm president of our public, uh, non-traded but publicly filing REIT and BDC, yeah. and a couple of other things, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, constantly looking at risk. Yeah, well, the reason I ask this is because this is one of the things that I struggled with the most in my career, which was pushing myself to take more risk go out there and I found that jujitsu was an incredible antidote to teach me the lessons on the mat 
when I, when I was coming up and I've been doing jujitsu for 11 years, uh, I had some blue belt blues yeah. and I wanted to get through that. And one of the things that I had to learn was I couldn't always be so guarded. I had to let myself open up and, and take these risks in order to get better. Yeah. Uh, that started to mirror as I grew my career and I, and I needed to take on more risk. I was going out and doing uh, commercial real estate transactions, putting together syndicated deals. And the only way to do that was to expose myself, become very vulnerable and go out and raise money. Right. Um, so are there any parallels that you see? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sort of the wrong person by profession to ask that question to yeah. because as a credit analyst, think of it, we're making loans or we're investing in bonds, yeah. uh, whether it's a real estate loan or a commercial a corporate loan uh, or, a, or a bond. Uh, we're investing in something generally at around 100, mm -hmm. maybe you get a little discount, 99, 99 <laughs> and a half. And if everything goes well, you'll get your stated coupon or your interest rate you know, forever long the bond is. And then whether it calls early or matures, you're just hoping to get your 100 back in maturity. Mm. So since these bonds or loans are generally callable, you have maybe a few points of upside. Yeah. And you have literally, Jordan, 100 points of downside. So the way we think of the business at, at our firm is like, what could go wrong? Let's just analyze every known fact so we can avoid, um, you know, because one wrong one will offset a lot of right ones. So that's the opposite approach that you're, you're talking to. You're talking about maybe. Yeah. But having said that, I think the other the other ethos of, of our firm and the way we operate is you tend to make better decisions when you have all available information, right? Right. So being well prepared. I mean, I think that's the metaphor, because when you're prepared and when you know more than the other guy, mm -hmm. I mean, isn't that sort of what jujitsu is about? Yep. Then you can see things maybe that they don't, and then you're not so much taking risks. You're just doing logical steps that would be the logical progression in the course of a deal, in the course of anything, but in the course of jujitsu. Is it risky to go from mount to an armbar? I suppose. Right. Um, but if you drilled that 10,000 times, then you know, maybe that's just, you're not even thinking. Yeah. You know? So um, I think of it as the same way. If you come well prepared and you've you've done more work than the other guy, hopefully you've set yourself up. As they say, um, it was funny how much luckier I got the more well prepared I was. That, that's a very good point and a perfect segue to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. So uh, we met here at Hamptons Jiu Jitsu. Uh, I saw that you had, were just starting Kasai around that time, and you are so generous with your time to come here and you teach on the weekends. Uh, you teach during the week at your academy in New York City, Mushin. Uh, and one of the things that has impressed me so much is your command of the fundamentals. You seem to be obsessed, and I don't want to put these words in your mouth, but with the, the nuanced details of this sport. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Sure. Well, I got a good grounding, Jordan. I mean, I was my first jiu-jitsu professor was John Danaher. Yeah. For my first three or three and a half years, I trained exclusively with John. Yep. Um, uh, I think that was way more than I... I needed. <laughs> I needed to do a lot of remedial stuff before I got to the John level. Yeah. But still, I mean, he instilled in me. Um, uh, well, let's put it this way: John weighed at the time. I don't know how much he weighs now. I don't know, 180, 185 pounds. Yeah. He, um, when he got on me, yeah. I never felt anything like that in my life. And I would say that sometimes I would say to him, John, do do you weigh 300 pounds? Or and he'd say, No, it's about proper positioning, proper technique. Um, and then sometimes when we would have, you know, he'd have a Camaro or he'd have, you know, some kind of American lock or, or you know, some kind of 
position on me, it would be so much different than when anybody else had it. It was just like I was immovable, just like it was in the mouth. Yeah. And then instead of saying, John, do you know, do you weigh 300 pounds? I would say, John, can you like lift 1,000 pounds? <laughs> because you're literally the strongest man I've ever. <laughs> yeah. And it, as so happens, John was a power lifter in his, right. or, or a bodybuilder in his earlier days. Yeah. So I, without a doubt, he is a very strong individual. But it was, he was correct. I mean, it was about yeah. having proper leverage, having proper positioning, and having proper technique. Yes. And uh, I'm, Jordan, I'm definitely not the biggest guy in, in, in the gym. I'm <laughs> yeah. definitely not the youngest guy in the gym. No. I'm definitely not the strongest guy in the gym. Yeah. Um, so the only place I think that you might I, be the one that shows up the most, though. Yeah. Well, I'm, I've tried to be the hardest worker. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, but because where's, where's, where's the edge for me? And then even if you are the biggest guy, I mean, clearly you want the edge anyway, is where's the edge is in knowing more than your opponent, like I said earlier about being prepared. Um, but, you know, when you apply, um, giving that example before, Kimura correctly, mm-hmm. um, that's a tap. That's not a, oh, let me see if I can hitchhike my way out of that or something. Right. You know, that should be, you know, you should, you should really, you know, know the, the, the subtleties. The wet, John's wedge system, um, mm. Uh, you know, I just think about to this day, and you know, you know, as as you advance, and you know, they always say you get to your black belt, so then you can start branching out and developing sort of your own game. Right. And for me, it was very true. I I train day to day. I know you didn't ask me this question, but I yeah. train day to day, not day to day, once every other week or so mm-hmm. with Paulo Mia, mm-hmm. and I train also whenever I can get him. Yeah. Uh, probably a similar interval with Eddie Cummings. Right. Why do I pick those two guys? Well, first of all, um, I, I guess I could, you could pay it. New York's a great place. You, <laughs> there's a lot of people you can train with. And yeah. I do. And, and, I certainly, and I certainly do. But the reason that I train with them is because I think in the world, I, I think most people would probably put Paulo in a very small group of people that was sort of the best Barambolo players in the world. Yes. And Eddie is one of the best Legolock players in the world. As it happens, Paulo is so much more than a Barambolo player, and yeah. his top game is now is devastatingly good. Um, his whole game is, as, as is Eddie's. Um, but you know, I focus a lot of what I do with them on Barambolo and legs because I'm trying to bring in nexuses between those two. So when I teach a lesson, yeah, sometimes I'll plagiarize. I'll teach something straight out of Eddie's mouth or straight out of Paulo's mouth. Yeah. But usually, what I will do is I will connect things from there, from you know, things, Eric Owings is, is at Mushin is, yeah. uh, you know, another brilliant guy that I've, you know, learned a lot from and has trained me over the years. Yeah. And, you know, the ability to connect these different, and Eric's style is even different than those two. Yeah. And just the ability to connect these things. And um, so, like you say, uh, getting tech, it just turns me on to, to, to know how to do things in the most devastating way possible. Yeah your command of the nuanced details of, of the techniques that you teach is very, very impressive. Yeah, well, a lot of people are more so. Yeah. Um, I'm just a, you know, a weekend warrior. I sure. don't compete for a living. But, um, you know, there's something about not competing that, um, I mean, I have competed, but, but not competing on a regular grind schedule yeah. gives you, I think, the freedom to explore in your game. Like, you know, we'll spend weeks at a time, you know, we're on a technique now, I don't even have a name for it. Yeah. I call it a hook ashi cross leg. I, 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 <laughs> you know, I'll call it the Jordan. Okay. Really. <laughs> uh, but we're Honored. developing all sorts of uh, entries to there and finishes and segues into other positions. We can get there from, 
K-guards, we get there from 50-50s, we're getting there from, from double guard poles. Yeah. Is that yeah. what you were working on today? Uh, we were just, a, no, we were doing Barambolos today. Oh, Barambolos, okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, that there's a, a stop in, in the I, th sequence. I thought I saw you pull that in transition yeah. at the end of it. It was, yeah, it was a could, very impressive transition. I couldn't help myself, but yeah, we, we, uh, that's, I just you know wanted to work on a little of the move of the day. Yeah. <laughs> that's excellent. Good. Um, so you... You, you started studying under John Donahar, but you came together with Eric Onings. How did that partnership come together? So um, I trained with John um, at Henzo's. Um, and I, to this day, I would be still training with John. It's one of the, nothing can compare to it. The problem was logistics. Right. Um, one of the logistics was that John had to conclude his privates by time, uh, I forgot it was like the six o'clock. Yeah. I think it was roughly six o'clock class started. Yeah. Or 6.30 maybe, but 5.30, 6, let's call it 6 o'clock. Or you can, which he didn't want to, you could do lessons after the last class was over, like 9.30 or 10. So I would literally have to come up with excuses to go disappear. <laughs> you know, Henzo's is not that close. I'd get over there. Yeah. Um, it was usually, they usually clean the mat after the class. So I was in the part where we still had a lot of mat <laughs> residue on there from the morning. So uh, it was not the glamour spot. Yeah. Um, we put some cones around us because inevitably we'd be running late and the class would be smashing mm. around us. It just, it, it was difficult. Right. Uh, it was difficult. And I was really only getting in an hour. But an hour with John, boy, that's like a uh, uh, five hour day. I've only trained with him a few times, but uh, he's the most effective communicator I've ever met across and, any discipline. And he makes it fun. Yeah. He may, he'll tell you stories that are hilarious. Yes. They'll somehow fit into the lesson <laughs> plan and it'll just be a joy. Uh, but then, you know, I met Eric. I think Eric was pretty much one of John's top black belt students. This mm. is, um, you know, pre the Gary Tonin and Gordon yes. and stuff. Uh, Eric and, and, uh, and um, uh, you know, was one of his top black belts. And uh, so what I started to do is moonlighting with Eric. And Eric ended up buying an apartment with another guy, John Cholish, who, who I know yeah. you know, Jordan. And I, we split the apartment, uh, and I, I did it. I did the one third, sort of help, help stipend them a little yeah. bit, but also because there was a loft upstairs, and I made it my room and just put all mats in there. <laughs> and so we just made that our upstairs grappling loft. And yeah. we had that apartment for about two years, and any time I could steal time, I'd come and I'd meet Eric or John, yeah. and we would do lessons or just beat the crap out of each other yeah. upstairs. And it was dangerous because like there was a stairwell on the side. <laughs> if you went rolling, you might actually fall down the stairs. Yeah. But it was so much fun. Um, and you know, Erica, Eric and I got into a nice routine. We always talked about opening a gym together and yeah. eventually we did. That's great. Yeah, I had a bunch of good friends that trained with you guys in the early days, Aton Saperstein and some oh, of those sure. guys yeah. and really good guys and they always spoke highly and they knew that I did jiu-jitsu out on Long Island yeah. uh, with uh, Sensei Nardu Debra. And we always chatted and I, I didn't really know who Eric was. It turned out he was a training partner of my sensei and um, it was come full circle. I meet you here, you know, years later. And uh, But I'll tell you, Eric um, may have learned from John, but it's a good example. Yeah. Um, well, Eric had a broader education maybe before that in Brazil. But um, Eric developed a style that, I, you know, it's not, doesn't, is not, it's, it's a very unique Eric style. It's right. a very dominant, you know, positional control, um, you know, very thoughtful. It feels, again, with Eric, like he is, you know, the strongest man in the world because he can sort of just do things that just yeah. seem so heavy. 
But, um, you know, just learning that from him, learning from the others that I've had the fortune, good fortune to train with, yeah. has given me a well-rounded game and it's kept it interesting, Jordan. You know, I think people tend to be good at the things they most enjoy doing. Mm. Uh, I think about that at work when we're, you know, restructuring things and thinking about the right jobs for people. Um, same for me. Uh, I, I no longer like, I'm not sure if I ever did, the smash and, mm. you know, uh, smash game and, you know, because there's always going to be a guy bigger or stronger, or, you yeah, know, sure. but, you know, to the extent you can invent or, you know, learn a, you know, new set, a new language. I found ourselves, we were training yesterday, we called our secret role club, unfortunately yeah. we, weren't, we weren't in town. Um, and I caught myself in the middle, because these are somewhat regular students, a couple of the guys here that yeah. train with me, and I'm, I'm belting them now. And uh, I found myself talking, I completed a sentence, and I caught myself just as I finished the sentence. And the sentence was something like, you know, we get our, uh, you know, inside Senkaku, and then we, we go to Tapu Shiro, mm. and we switch from Tapu Shiro back to, you know, back to the south, whatever. It was yeah. a sentence using words that <laughs> seem like uh, Martian language. And... <laughs> I witnessed All that today. All the four or five guys in the room were following word for word and then would even follow up with a question of like, but what about the Connie Basami? Yes. And I'd be like, you understood what I was saying. You know? I, and, I witnessed that in action today yeah. and I was so impressed and I'm sitting there listening and it's, it's almost like you guys were speaking another language. Yeah. Well, uh, Eddie Bravo has done a good job of that, but he made up his language. <laughs> yeah. You know? I, I'm, we're, I'm trying to use the language. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I actually, when in, for lack of better terms, I will use the truck and you know some of Eddie's Eddie's right. uh, terms and terminology too. But wherever possible, I'm going to follow John and use the Japanese. Yes. Um, that, that's or the logical around. description of the move, as right. I said before, the the hooked ashi with the cross with uh, with the leg across. Yeah. You know, if but I can't come up with a name, Barambolo must be Portuguese, right? Barambolo is Portuguese. <laughs> I think Barambolo just means. Um, uh, I don't know, something like spinning and yeah. grabbing. Uh, I used to think um, Delahira was something like Barambolo and then spinning and... It's a guy. But it's a <laughs> Ricardo <laughs> Delahira. Just like uh, Joe D'Arce is the yeah. darst joke. So then I started thinking maybe Bar maybe there's a guy named Bob Barambolo. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very possible. I interviewed Deborah Gracie last week who's yeah. uh, Neiman's sister. Yeah. And she just wrote a book called Hespect, which is a, a Portuguese to English for jiu-jitsu dictionary, which I thought was a novel idea. That's and good. she published it out, and it's, That's it's good. pretty cool. Uh, well, you need Japanese, too. That's yes. The problem. Like, for example, I met a woman. Mm -hmm. Her name was Kani Basami. Yeah, and I don't know if Kani Basami yeah, is, is is a you know is an illegal move now in judo from the feet. Yes, but it's you know the back step that you fall into saddle or fall into an immediate heel. Yeah, or or knee bar. And uh, <laughs> I, I I took a picture of her because she was at a conference, and I took yeah. a picture of her with her name tag. Yeah, that's very that's <laughs> very very funny. So you know before we wrap up, uh, I wanted to get into a little bit of Kasai. Sure. So you have an incredible passion for jujitsu, and. You took this passion, and now you've started a whole business. Now, business jujitsu is not necessarily about the business of jujitsu. It's about the, where these two, where the principles intersect. But you've you've created a business out of jujitsu. Yeah. Um, is this purely passion project, or do you see the next ten years jujitsu exploding, and this could be a real, uh, maybe even a competitor of the UFC or a feeder to the UFC? What, what's your business angle here? I hope it's both. Yeah. Um, right now, it's more of the former. Because yeah. the jiu-jitsu market just isn't big enough yet. Yeah. One of our missions, well, 
the the premise for why why Kasai is like you. I'm a I'm just a fan of the sport. I watch anything I can, you know, that you can watch either in person right. or on TV. Uh, anything from the you know the single promotion, single map promotions to all the big IBJJF, you know, ADCC, yes. you know, all the big events. And uh, I always watch it and always say, boy, this could be better. This yeah. could be better. This could be better. This could be better. And these are some great stuff that we're watching. But, you know, what I'm referring to is uh, some of the complaints that, you know, the matches are under not understandable. Yes. The, some of the decisions sound somewhat arbitrary. People complain of favoritism, which I don't believe. But, you know, maybe once in a while that could happen. But, you know, trying to take those elements out of the sport and create more action. Yeah. Uh, having two guys stand in a match and sort of play patty cake is not you know, right. super interesting. And if you're going to get crossover into the sport of people like UFC uh, wanting to watch the sport, um, they're going to you're going to have to make it interesting for them, and that that's just not interesting. Yes. I mean, I'm a extreme fan of the sport, and I fast forward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I you know my finger my, yeah, yeah. I, I have finger cramps sometimes from watching from watching jujitsu. Yeah. So, uh, so at Kasai, we, we played with the rules. We did the best we could. We wanted to keep the point system intact yeah. because we didn't want to build something that was so far away. Like, I so admire what Eddie Bravo did with EBI. Yes, me too. But unfortunately, one of the negative effects of it is he, he, stopped, he, he was unable, I think, um, to get some of the best, um, you know, uh, traditional rules players and gi players in the world to, to do it because, you know, it was too unfamiliar to them. Mm -hmm. They'd get to mount and they get no points for it. You know, it would only matter if you get a... Uh, so so tried to keep something that was as true to the sport as we could, but we got rid of, for example, advantages. We added points instead of advantages. Right. The matches and tournaments are only six minutes. You know, refs are pretty vigilant about, you know, you know, pushing for the action. We have a giant mat, so mm -hmm. you're not just seeing guys constantly go out of bounds. Right. Uh, you know, a hundred different things. Yep. Uh, and, you know, some of, several of the other rules... And most importantly, in our tournaments, you can have ties because yes. you know it's very frustrating. Like I said, mm. to see people, you know, get some decision that's you know unfulfilling ultimately, right. or maybe even worse, having a tiebreaker, um, like a uh, you know like a back control, you know, riding time or something right. is is unsatisfying. Yes. Um, so came up with our set of rules and said, you know what, we can turn jujitsu into a mainstream sport. Right. Now, the one thing that MMA has over MMA, uh, MMA has over jujitsu is blood. Now, well, you know, you get a yeah. cut on a guy in jujitsu <laughs> once in a while, but I hate yeah. to say it, but people deny this. If you ask anybody, they will never admit this. But I still think to this day, people go to UFC events because they want to see a train wreck. Sure. You're driving on the road. Yeah. You know, you curse at everybody for rubbernecking at that car, but when it's your turn to go past, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And if it's an accordion-type accident, there's ambulances and there's yeah. stretchers, well don't said. tell me you're not going to look. Yeah, everyone's looking. And, you know, people want to do People want to be in the front row and get the guy's blood on them. You know, yeah. a lot of people do, at least. So uh, we can't replicate that. So, you know, I think the pitch for jiu-jitsu and for Kasai is it's the intelligent man's martial art. It's the thinking man's or woman's martial art. And... Yeah. You know, once you learn the sport and you understand some of the subtleties of it, it's 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 like a chess game. Yeah. Um, think of action chess. Uh, so you know that's what gets exciting about it. But even like UFC, you see, I mean, it frustrates jujitsu fans like us. But 
you know, guys will go to the ground, they'll be in a closed guard for 40 seconds and the ref will stand them up. Yeah, there's been more and more of that. Boring. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we're tr I'm trying, we're trying to get rid of the boring elements of jujitsu for Kasai. Yeah. But um, you guys have done a great job, especially so bringing you, you're bringing so many different disciplines together. It seems like people want to fight on your promotion, yeah. And you're getting the IBJJF guys, you're getting the guys that do Nogi, yeah. so some of the exciting names in the sport. Yep, and we're trying to get uh, MMA guys as well. Yeah. And you know, look what we're able to do though. Like in New York, at, at our venue, Manhattan Center, where we've been the last few New York shows, yeah. uh, we're smashing in over two thousand people into an arena to do, watch a single mat jujitsu event. Yeah. Like in, in the um, ADCCs or Worlds, I mean, the place is full because most of the people in the arena are actually competing. I right. Mean, and the friends here, and the there's teams. nobody competing. They're just, they're just people watching other than the people backstage. Yeah. And, uh, um, and to watch a single mat, it, the onus is on us to make sure that single mat is exciting. Because yes. you'll really lose your crowd. I almost think your show is only as good as your weakest match. Yeah. You know, and you throw two or three consecutive week matches in there, people are just going to go to the bar or head for the doors. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it's on us to, to, to make sure the matches are compelling. Yeah. And the rules, you know, create that action. There are some really exciting uh, athletes in the sport right now. You know, like, uh, obviously, the, the one everybody talks about is Gordon Ryan, but uh, Renato Canuto, who fights on your promotion all the time, I mean, that guy's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody wants to see a... Hanato and Gary Tonin go yes. again. I think Kasai is the place to make that happen. Well, for we're sure. gonna we're, we're working on it. Yeah. Gary's got a contract on on uh, for with One FC his his MMA yeah. promotion. So we have to kind of work around that and Hanato's schedule. But yeah. we'll get that figured out. Yeah. There's a lot of other dream. I mean, all we do all day long, Jordan. Now that we kind of have the format figured out, and you know, other than doing the blocking and tackling of getting the shows produced is think all day long about dream matchups mm. and try to convince the guys <laughs> that they want to do the matchups right. that we that we think up. That, I mean that that is I can't tell job. you how many times we'll call a guy and we'll say I got the perfect match he goes no I'll fight but I'm not that guy. <laughs> like no you know and so it's a lot of persuasion you yeah. know your your persuasion skills need to to, yeah. to fall into place. Do you enjoy that part of it? Uh, well I'll tell you I'm blessed to have Hollis Gracie as my yeah. partner. Hollis um, I call him six degrees of separation. There's That's nobody it. in the sport that he can't call yeah. and you know, start off a phone call either in English or Portuguese he's a, with. He's a great guy. I, yeah. I only met him one time this uh, about six months ago. Did I you do the a, seminar here? A sem I actually did his seminar at Sarah's. Okay. And he had about 125 people on the mat and yeah. he was controlling the room and he's just such a wealth of knowledge. And uh, I just really, I really appreciated that seminar. Yeah, so Hollis is uh, the connectivity point. But you know, I always say there's nobody has a, um, a monopoly on good ideas. Yeah. So between our whole team and everybody we talk to, we're always trying to dream up the next, you know, cool yeah. matchup. You've got a great team. Uh, Greg, who owns Hampton Jiu Jitsu, is one of your social media coordinators. I think he, he does is unbelievable. The media He's, he is. Most people incredible. think we have like a hundred person team or something. Our social media media forget social media. Yeah. Our media and marketing department yeah. is run by Greg. And is only great. <laughs> <laughs> he does a great job. Yeah, he, he does the work of 20 people. Uh, when when there's a Kasai coming up or it's the day of, the night before, your coverage is incredible. Yeah. You know, you feel like you're getting really excited to be a part of the show. Yeah. And, um, and Flow Grappling also. Flo what a great, a great part. job also. They, they're revolutionizing this entire sport, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, the way that they cover these events, it means, I, I think it's better than ESPN. So uh, the answer to your first question is... Mm -hmm. Uh, if we can keep that trajectory, the sport is growing. It's growing. You see it, uh, you know, around the country, you know, in these strip malls or wherever, you know, with kids, you know, 
And anytime a sport starts getting kids programs and they start growing, then they're going to, you know, then they'll tell their kids and, yeah. you know, then it'll grow into something. So I think the number of participants in the sport is just going to constantly grow. The, the curve looks like this. So therefore, who's your built-in fan base? Yeah. Hopefully we can grow that fan base beyond the people that just do jujitsu. Yes, That's on us. Yes. Uh, we continue to try to open up our venue and we invite friends and friends of friends of people that don't have any background and they love it. Yeah. You know, the story I always tell is my two daughters, uh, 20 and 25. Yes. And they come to every Kasai show. My, really? My oldest just uh, flew to Dallas to, with, with one oh, of my wow. And they'll usually bring a one to five, six friends with them. And they will literally stay from the first undercard match at like 6, a, 6 p.m. to the final match. You know, sometimes they don't end until midnight. I'm, I'm very surprised to hear that and, and pleased. It's pretty cool. So um, typically they'll, they'll <laughs> sit in their seat for five, Maybe they'll go to the bathroom or get a drink or something yeah. or some food. But they will sit in that arena for five and a half, six hours every show. And I'm still not even sure if they know all the rules. Yeah. I'm still not even sure. <laughs> but, you know, they, they're just... They're just mesmerized by it. Yes. And, you know, a little bit of his, like, who's cuter, Felipe Pino, Craig Jones, you know, a little of that. But Hey, that's uh, <laughs> that definitely is an important part of, the, of, of promoting the sport. Yeah. You know, having bankable stars. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to keep trying to do that and turn it into a mainstream sport. So the answer to your question is, with the current size of the addressable universe to watch jiu-jitsu, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably not big enough to really make, you know, any kind of money. Right. Uh, or in our case, you know, we, 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 lose, we, we lose a little bit. But, you know, the bet is to grow the sport yeah. and to be the category killer. Right. And you had some experience witnessing that or participating in it because you were the banker for the Fertitta brothers. Yes, right? so you I, told was me the, um, yeah. uh, I was the banker for the Fertittas when, um, when they owned a company called Station Casinos, which they yeah. still do. And uh, then when they bought the UFC and financed them and watched that from the ground, I also was one of the uh, one of the uh, partners in Bellator. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, ended up selling our stake to Viacom, which now owns 100% of it. That's so great. got to watch these things. Um, so know how it works. You know how it works. It's it's, know it's how really it works. cool. It just MMA is just let's face it, just has a today has a broader uh, global appeal. Yes. Uh, it's an easier sport to understand. Uh, somebody's describing. You know, what are the rules of an MMA fight? Yeah. Match? Uh, well, if you say the word fight, and I don't even think you have to say any more words. <laughs> it's like, oh, I get it. You punch the guy. and It's, and it's extreme. He, totally when, explicit. It's, when he goes you out, get, you, you get what you, you see. You, you, you win. I mean, um, so a jiu-jitsu match is a little bit harder. It's going to require a little bit more of an investment mm-hmm. uh, in understanding how it works. Yeah. Uh, but that's our job. You know, every show we do, and we have it on our website, we have a one minute, one minute video, one minute and 11 second video called Kasai Rules Made Simple. Mm. And we have some music playing in the back and we just show clips and we explain how you earn points right. in a match. And we show that in between every round. Yeah. Because, you know, there's people there and, you know, we don't show it before the first round. We show it after the end of the first round. I can't tell you how many times I've like, oh, that's why he got two <laughs> points. Oh, yeah. that's what he did. Right. You know, and, and as you know, Jordan, it's not that complicated. Well, to the, to, to the untrained eye. To be a referee is yeah. complicated, but to follow what's going on. Yes. Um, even if you don't know what happened, when the ref goes like this. Yes. Uh, pretty much it's, this, yeah. and, he, and he has the green armband on that side, and you see that the guy has a green <laughs> thing on his ankle. 
then you'll realize that it must be the guy with the green got the two points. Yeah. You know? I think the most challenging thing, at least for my wife and some of my friends who have watched to understand is the, is the guard play, is understanding that somebody can be dominating when they yeah. look like they're being dominated to the untrained eye. Yeah. Uh, that seems to me the thing that they just don't get. Right. But I think uh, some of the best athletes in the world yeah. are some of the jujitsu players. Uh, mm -hmm. They really are. And the thing that's what I would be most fulfilled if we can accomplish is the thing that makes me sad is watching some great athletes. I won't even mention any by name because some, uh, some maybe it's a better fit than others, but go to MMA. So like mm. uh, some of the greatest jujitsu players in the world will journey their way to MMA right. and they'll become mediocre MMA fighters. Right. Why? Because they've been training jiu-jitsu probably since they're a little kid and they just started learning to punch. Yeah. And they're always going to rely on their jiu-jitsu game, not their punching game. I mean, there's a few examples. Ryan Hall's an example. Yeah. He, he's played karate clearly his whole life. Yes. And, and he's been very successful in the <laughs> MMA ring. But a lot of guys do it really because they're chasing the money. Right. Uh, and I wouldn't begrudge anybody that wants to make the transition from jujitsu. Gary Tonin, geez, the guy's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. Uh, He's but one of my favorite athletes. But sadly, to watch. there's some people that do MMA just because there's money. Yes. Um, and the more we can do to make the sport not just a commercial set success for promotions like Kasai, but uh, a real way to earn a living for the practitioners, right. then. If they go to MMA, it's because because it was truly something they wanted to do, not just they did they did because they wanted to earn some dough. Yeah, and that's a shame. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the, the most notable person I could think of down that vein is Nick Rodriguez, who's had this like meteoric rise the past year, maybe even six months, and he's been on record saying many times that he doesn't think he's going to go to MMA because he's doing so well in jujitsu. Between fights, super fights, uh, seminars. The guy's making a living. The yeah. guy's making a living, but he's becoming a star in the sport. Yeah. He just had a great showing at Kasai. Oh, oh my God. Awesome. So exciting. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it was just a shame because um, uh, he got a little cheated out of uh, a better outcome because uh, he fought to a draw with Vinny Magalesh, yeah. and um, that took Vinny out. Vinny got injured. Yeah. It took him out for his next two matches. So on the scoreboard, um, Nick got a draw, one point, and the two guys that didn't even have to fight him because they got a bye got two points. Yeah. And that point was the margin between Nick tying for first in the bracket and coming yeah. in second. So it was a shame, especially since Nick did so well yeah, he really did in the match. Great job. You know, it was one of the most one-sided ties I've seen in a long time. Yeah. But, but that's he, what's fun about Kasai. I mean, you, you I, I love that format. I love being able to, you know, the guys are going to go with multiple people and they're yeah. going to get points and it doesn't always going to work out, but... Um, you get to see a lot of exciting matches. Yeah, and also, I mean, I would draw the distinction. Like, we waited for a long time to do, we want to do it last, the heavyweight. Mm -hmm. um, so we had eight killer heavyweights in that tournament. Um, we even had a couple of injuries, but, you know, even, even with that, we had eight killer heavyweights. And with the six-minute matches and the mandatory three fights, mm -hmm. the winners will fight four, uh, you weren't, they got the joke. You couldn't rest in your six minutes. Yeah. You had to go, 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 go. And what happened? Uh, unfortunately, a couple, you know, Vinny got hurt. Uh, Cyborg cut his head open. Um, and uh, Joao Gabriel Hosha uh, hurt his knee pretty bad. <laughs> he, was a, he was a trooper, man. He went right out there and still kept fighting. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I hate to say it, but with our rule set and that kind of action, when guys weigh 250 pounds, yeah. you're probably 
more often than not, you're going to see <laughs> wounded warriors like that because oh, yeah. there's no time to do that patty cake stalling. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like a lot of times heavyweights do that because they're so big and they're, you know, they're so jacked that it's, that it's, uh, you know, they, they gas, you know, the negative side. Yeah. You know, you and I may, you know, we know, because you gas a little sooner <laughs> when, you know, the more muscle mass you have. Yeah. Um, and uh, so these six minute bouts were perfect. I remember talking to Nick before the tournament. He said, he said like, this tournament is made for me. Yes. He called us to, to be on the card. He said, it's made for me because you have to go all out for six minutes. Yeah. He said, he said, ADCC, you know, it's great rule format. You know, it's awesome. But, but, you know, the matches could last 20 minutes long. He said, I can't, I can't, no marathon or sprints <laughs> for 26 miles. And, right? and that's his, you know, to his style. He doesn't have that slow technical yeah, throttling so, style. So he has that go. So the, the track analogy is it's a 400 meter dash. Right. And you go all out, and then sometimes you see the guy come in, like, walking and <laughs> yeah. screaming. And you, you were a runner talking about track. Yeah, yeah. Did you run track when you were younger? I did. Yeah. And then you were... I had a hip injury, and that's how that's I found myself to John Donahue. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. So uh, I want to I end on one thing. Uh, we brought it up before, but we kind of skirted around it, but it's, it's a, an important essence that I'm trying to get to. Um, a lot of young entrepreneurs come to me all the time, and one of the things that especially young people, but it's not exclusively young people, is this question of time. They want to do things, but they never seem to have the time. And I always find the most successful people can fit the most in. Yeah. Uh, just can you talk about your time? Number one, you're very generous with your time. You give your time to a lot of different organizations, charity, teaching. Um, how do you fit it all in? Uh, I don't. So um, don't, don't uh, look... Don't look in other people's yards. You know, the grass is always greener. It's not. It's, yeah. it's a continual struggle. Time is, I always think, the most valuable commodity. People think it's money. It's, it's not. It's time. Absolutely. Uh, it's hard. Um, and I kind of need my seven, at least, hours a night of sleep, too. So I think stealing it from sleep is not a great <laughs> idea. No. Um, so a uh, couple things. You said something you well said. Uh, whenever you're looking for the most important job to do, you know, that you need to get, to get done. Yeah. Maybe sometimes think about giving it to the guy or woman with the most to do, right. with the most on their plate. Yeah. Um, because uh, sometimes, you know, high-performing people can, can just figure it out. Uh, so I try to be like that, but, you know, that's hard. The other, the other principle that I follow is I schedule time for myself. Mm. Um, think of it. Uh, most people have jobs and you know they do and you know their days are accounted for and you know it's just very hard you know and then they're done and they're exhausted it's very hard to take on other things unless you're blessed with something that provides you the hours and the yes you know the, the flexibility to do it um for me uh, you know my job could be 24 hours every day if i let it right so i try to be smart about it i try to literally put on my calendar every day you know try to fit in a period of time, an hour, hour and a half, two hours, where I'm working out. Yeah. Or maybe I'm rehabbing or, you know, I'm doing something or I'm sleeping. You know, maybe, you know, schedule time to make sure you get to bed on time. It seems a little anal. For me, it's in the morning. So it makes me tired and it's tough. But, you know, I teach, as you know, Jordan, uh, six, it's more like 6.15, 6, <laughs> 6, 6.30, but a 6-ish uh, a.m. class three days a week. And yes. on the other day, I usually train as well and I train Saturday and Sunday so that's when I get my training and I can still get to the office by nine yeah. if I'm 
we're having a more a longer training session, maybe I'll get in 9.30 or 10. But um, I can still get into the office by 9. I can still make an 8.30 meeting, you know, if, I, if we do a more efficient class and then I just run out the door. Yeah. Um, so I, I fit it in. I just, you're not going to fit stuff in if, if, if jujitsu just becomes the swing factor. Oh, if I have enough time, I'll go to that class. Oh, right. I know there's a 7.30 class over at Mushin or over wherever. If I can fit it in, I'll go. Right. Guess what? Nine times out of ten, you don't fit it in. And when you get a pattern of not fitting it in, then you quit. That's right. Because you start to stink. And people that started with you start getting better. And, you know, people ride you. They make you feel guilty. Hey, I haven't seen you. Hey, Jordan, good to see you. <laughs> I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah. You know, and it just, it just. So um, at Mushin, my gym, we, uh, a lot of people are more white collar, you mm -hmm. know, oriented. It's a, you know, banker, you know, lawyers, a lot, a lot of folks. And we just have a no guilt philosophy. If I don't see a guy for a month and he comes in, I'll say, hey, Bob, great to see you. You mm. know, it's not like, where have you been? There's no guilt. Yeah. Uh, you know, let them be the masters of their destiny. Let them learn. You know, what I think I've learned is making time for yourself. If jujitsu is important to you, make time for it. If your work's important to you, make time for it. If your family's important to you, make time for it. Hopefully there's enough hours in a day that you can, you know, fit those things in. Yeah. Well, uh, I've had the great pleasure of learning from you many, many times, and watching the way that you operate is, is a real inspiration. Thank you. Uh, fitting in as much as you do. I'm a young operator. I operate two businesses. Jordan, don't sell yourself short. You fit yeah. in a lot of stuff yourself. No, I, I do. You know, I, do. I, don't, I don't want to take it away. I, I make the time. You know, I really make sure that I schedule everything. Not only that, you're great. You travel to other gyms. You get other perspectives on the sport. Yeah. That's a great, you know, you, I see that in you. You have the hunger, the, the passion. Yeah. So just really want to, you know, really want to um, yeah. learn from, I, you know. I love this. I, I really do. Uh, talking about it, I made a very conscious effort to take my jiu-jitsu. The gym that I belong to is not very white collar. Um, it, we have people, policemen, soldiers, firemen, uh, sanitation. It's, it's, a very, it's a wide cross-section of people, but no networking capabilities. No, it wasn't a part of my life. I had my jiu-jitsu life. And then I had my life. And so about a year and a half ago, I made a very conscious effort to, to bring these two things together. And it's, it, it's been the most rewarding thing and the most rewarding part of my life. And I think that's what I see you've done by doing Kasai. You've yeah. taken your business life and you've, you've meshed it. And I just, I've had the, the great benefit of hearing you talk about the matchmaking just in your classes, you know, come in. It's like, oh, I've got this one. I'm working on this fight. I'm working on putting these two guys together. And the... There's so much excitement there. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, thank you for being a part of this project. Uh, it's probably going to take me a good two years to write this book. All right. Um, good luck. But uh, this is the, the whole reason for this podcast is the research. Everything that we talked about today is going to inform the, the, the anecdotes that I'm going to tell from experiences in my own life. Mm -hmm. And then I hope to use the experiences of people that I talk to to lend credibility to the, some of the, uh, the things that I'm working on. Uh, if you have any advanced thinking past this, I'm, I'm working on leverage, how, how I use leverage in my business life, uh, whether that's by building a really good team. I can only do so much, so I leverage the talents of my, my team, uh, whether it's uh, leveraging a property with debt and making sure that I have the right debt. Different kind of leverage. Yeah. Um, it's been, we bootstrapped my clothing business, my retail clothing business, and we were not bankable for the first seven years of its existence. And only now, uh, 10 years in, are we just starting to become bankable? 
the banks were closed, even though my father, as the chairman of the business, was willing to back it. They weren't interested in our, our segment. So now we're just becoming bankable. So leverage, uh, risk is something I'm really interested in, taking risk, measuring risk, mitigating risk. Uh, asymmetric risk is something that I've really become very passionate about. And so if there's any, uh, if you think of any business philosophies that you find on the mat, please uh, think of me. Well, leverage is a great one. Um, yeah, empowering people to, to grow. I always think the best CEOs, or I say CEOs, but you know, leader of any business or anything, yeah. are the people that are secure enough with themselves to train other people to put them out of a job. Right. Isn't that the most hard? It, at every hard. at every level of my organization, every level of my organization, I try to pre teach that principle. There's a great book. It's called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. I don't mm -hmm. know if you had the chance yeah. to read it. Jocko is a former Navy SEAL and a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Dean Lister. He's, an, he's a crazy guy, and he's written a few books around that message. Yeah, so um, in jiu-jitsu, same thing. I mean, uh, uh, it's funny, when we, te when we teach, uh, some of the students are getting really good, and they'll say, hey, what about this? And, you know, I always, like the guys I have no respect for are the ones that say, no, you do it my way. Mm. You know, anytime somebody asks me, first of all, because there's so much I don't know, but... But they'll say, hey, look, I've, I've been trying this, this hook grip instead of the grip you're talking about, and look how it works. I go, explain that to me. You should, you know. And then, you know, open your mind. I mean, maybe things will change. It was, it was amazing. I, I, was, I had my breath taken away on the mat today listening to you and your normal crew of students have this open dialogue and the conversation on the things that you guys have been working on. And I'm here flying the wall just listening. Yeah, that's great. Wow. I mean, it's so that's cool. That's great. Too bad you weren't here yesterday. That's what we, did. <laughs> we just did little grips of it. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. you know, in the summertime, I'm out here more. And uh, I love training with you guys. You did such a good crew yeah. in the Hamptons over here. I love it. High level. And it's the Hamptons. Good people. Yeah. It's, it's pretty great. That's no slouch being out on the beach either. Right? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. For sure, Jordan. Thank I you. I really, really appreciate your time.